First Realm, Season 1, Episode 8. Senele galloped to Yosefin's Felicon, the summer solstice festival crown woven with eucalyptus leaves and flowers losing petals in the wind. The unicorns were still awake, having just returned from the festivities. Yosefin, Timari, and Zarius are missing. They are nowhere to be found. Do you think the human is back? Yosefin approached Senele with concern. No, it can't be. How could he also capture a pegasus? Yosefin was in disbelief, knowing how difficult it would be to capture a pegasus, but also not coming up with any other possibilities. I think we should alert the centaurs, just in case. Senele seemed frantic. Yosefin hesitantly replied, We can alert them about Timari, but not Zarius. They don't know about Zarius. She caused great pain to their ancestors during the war, and it could be dangerous if they knew she was still alive. Senele blinked. Could the centaurs have taken them? Yosefin, still in disbelief of the events, replied, What could they possibly want with a newborn cornifowl? No celestial guide would ever direct a centaur to harm such an innocent creature. If a centaur knowingly did that, the penalty would be too grave. They would never. Right? Yosefin was desperately trying to grasp how this could have happened. Senele looked at Yosefin with conviction. We should go immediately. Yosefin nodded. Should Zostis gather the cornifowl to travel with us? Perhaps Yakovis and Kelha still have room for them. Senele slowly nodded, hesitant to commit to such an act, but desperate to find the cornifowl and Pegasus to bring them home safely. This Solstice's festival was the most peace the Felicons have had in a long time, and a tragedy would be too much to bear as the Felicons could not cope with another season of brutal murders and the thought of a creature evil enough to abduct a newborn cornifowl was chilling. Yosefin called out, Zostis, gather the cornifowl from all three felicons and meet us in the center of the festival grounds. A loud crack startled all the unicorns present, including the cornifowl, who all fell on their tails, opening their eyes wide at the startle. Zostis gathered them in her wings, placing them neatly on her back, and took flight to the other felicons to gather the rest. Yosefin and Senele finished searching the festival grounds for Timari just as Zostis was landing. The grounds were quiet, no longer brimming with after-party bustle. A few twinklings of staggering, drunk fairy eyes appeared now and then, but there wasn't a sound to be heard. Zostis landed in front of Yosefin and Senele, kneeling on her front legs and dipping her left wing to the ground to make a slide for the cornifal. In a group, they all slid down her wing, giggling and piling on top of each other when they hit the ground. Knowing it was way past their bedtime, the small pile of nine wide-eyed cornifowl looked up at the unicorns hovering over them. Zostis gently separated them with her wing to allow for a proper count. Senele and Yosefin counted the nine cornifowl, taking one quick last look around the ground, searching for any movement and hoping for some sign of life. Nothing. Yosefin addressed Zostis. Meet us at Yaquibis's toad fountain. With that said... Yosefin nodded at Senele, and they galloped away, the summer breeze in their manes, panting, running as fast as they could to the cave, their crowns shedding a trail of flower petals and eucalyptus leaves behind them. Zostis loaded the cornifowl on her back and took off into the summer night sky. Invisible to the eye, she soared above the trees and the open meadows, the cornifowl resting on her back and wings in various positions. Some were sitting on her withers behind her neck, holding on to her and each other with their front legs, enjoying the wind in their faces with their eyes closed. Others were already asleep, nestled on her back where her wings met her body. 
A few were hiding their faces in her feathers, terrified that this was their current reality, but continuously forgetting where they were and lifting their faces only to discover yet again that they were flying through the air, hiding their faces once again. Zostis located the toad fountain and began an immediate descent, diving down toward the stone patio where the fountain was housed. Silently, she landed, allowed the cornifal to slide down her wing, and gathered them in both wings to protect them and hide them from any suspicious eyes. To anyone watching, it would look like nothing more than a reflective blur was present in the space. Senali and Yosefin, out of breath, entered the cave, calling out to Jakobus and Kelha. The centaurs both emerged quickly, strapping their halims and looking sleepy as they approached their visitors. Kelha ran up to Senali and Yosefin. Is everything all right? She embraced both of their necks with her left arm to greet them and show support for whatever was bringing them there this late into the night. Come in. Yakovis motioned toward the toad fountain for everyone to gather. I will bring you some water and meet you in a moment. Please know that Zostis should already be by your fountain with the cornifal. Yasefin directed the comment to Yakovis and then made eye contact with Kelha. That's not a problem. We're all safe here. Let's talk. Kelha directed her guests to the fountain and was joined quickly by Yakovis, who was carrying two buckets of water for the out-of-breath unicorns. Thank you. Senali and Yasefin said in unison as they helped themselves to the much-needed hydration. Sostis, you may release the cornifal, Yasefin said as if speaking to the air. Slowly, nine cornifal appeared as if out of thin air. Oh, hello! Kelha reached her hand up to where she believed Zostis's neck would be and was surprised when she was completely correct. Welcome back, Zostis. If it pleases you, the nursery is still intact and you and the cornifal should feel welcome to rest there. Thank you, Kelha, that's perfect. Go ahead, Zostis. Yasefin smiled slightly, but still looked very nervous. The cornifal followed their seemingly invisible guide to the nursery, some laying down and falling asleep on the way, having to be awoken and ushered, others falling asleep as soon as they entered the nursery. One remained near the fountain with its head in a bucket slurping water. Zostis ushered the slurping cornifal into the nursery with the rest, picking up the bucket with her mouth to bring it along for any other thirsty cornifal. What brings you here? Kelha shifted her glance between Yasefin and Senali. One of our cornifal is missing. A newborn. We worry the human may be back, Yasefin added to Senali's statement. Oh no, Kelha exhaled. The cornifal are welcome here and we will station centaurs around the cave for extra protection. Jacobus nodded in agreement with his wife and added, I will alert Versus and we will motion to vote to deploy our Celestines to find your missing cornifal. Jakobus embraced Kelha's neck and dashed out of the cave, headed for Versus's cave, his thorned tail swaying with each gallop, his mane of wavy hair blowing in the wind. Colossus smiled to himself, turning his body and propelling his limbs to quietly glide down the fountain wall toward the bottom of the pond, his smooth, fat belly brushing lightly against the stone boundaries of his pond. He couldn't wait to spread this juicy gossip. As usual lately, the council meeting was packed. Versus and Jacobus were the first to arrive, and centaurs filled the venue to capacity, spilling out of the entranceways. There was no order, and this nighttime meeting was quite unusual. Cloudron appeared as stoic as always, though he too wondered what this could be about, hoping ever so slightly that it wasn't somehow about Zarius. Even if it were, he supposed he really didn't care. He could easily justify his actions, not that it would come to that. Jacobus and Versus exchanged looks, and as rehearsed, Jacobus spoke first. Centaurs, a cornifal has gone missing. It is a newborn. 
Despite the centaur's reputation for lacking empathy, a few gasps could still be heard coming from the crowd at the thought of such a heinous act. The Felicons have requested our assistance. I vote to deploy Celestines to recover the Cornifal. His ballot, adorned with the branding of a bow and arrow, reverberated throughout the venue. Versus's ballot, adorned with the branding of a single but detailed Pythangus feather, rang immediately after. Horbid kicked his ballot and looked over at Nastily to try and encourage her vote. Cloudron, as calm as always, still maintained his typical air of passive arrogance and asked, What do the Felicons suspect happened to the Cornifal? They don't know but fear the worst, that the human may be back. Jacobus looked back and forth between Cloudron and Nastily. If that is the case and the Cornifal is still alive, we may not have much time. Nastily's hoof was fidgeting on her podium. Gartega, watching from a balcony, rolled his eyes and shot an arrow toward her ballot, hitting it in the back where it could not be seen by the other centaurs, emanating a chime from the ballot and determining her fate for her. Nastily seemed startled, then pleased. She may be an excellent warrior, but the air element symbol gracing her ballot was just one of the indicators of her typical hesitation to make decisions on the spot when not in combat. Cloudron casually kicked his ballot. My Celeste teams will take the mountainous terrain to the north. Excellent. Mine will take the lakes and rivers. Versus was already stepping off her podium to meet her Celeste teams in their training zones, as is typical when there is an immediate call to action. Horbrid stated that his Celeste teams would search the forests to the east and volunteered Nastily's Celestines to search the forests to the west. Nastily nodded, and they both stepped off their podiums. Archers, Jacobus addressed his centaurs from his podium, conduct sweeping patrols to the south and mind the caves. Pair up when you enter the cave and stack at least two archers outside any cave openings. Barlas, report to my cave. Kelha will provide you with further instructions. Take a companion with you. Celestines found each other quickly, pairing up with fellow archers they synced well with during the hatch. Gartega found Heldefor as she was running out of the venue, bow in hand, placing shivs strategically in her hallum. Without exchanging words, he reached out his left arm. Heldefor grasped his forearm and they nodded. Heldefor merged with a few centaurs from her Celestine, and Gartega ran toward his Celestine's training grounds, planning to accompany his mother on the search. Gareth fell to the ground as if he had been thrown out of a second-story window. These portal crossings were taking a toll on his body, and he felt some bones rattle in his ribcage and his right arm. Luckily, the Cornifal hides didn't create the natural disaster-like effects when they opened a portal like what happened when Destina did it, but the physical strain of traveling through the portal was the same. He looked around. The ground looked and felt like earth, but something was different. The sky was a twinkling twilight and stars were starting to become visible. It was either summer or he landed somewhere that is always warm. He landed along the tree line of a forest where it meets a hill leading to a body of water. This could work, he whispered out loud. I could probably find a city and start a new life for myself. He heard something in the distance. It sounded like horses, but he thought he could make out some voices as well. Perhaps it was some humans riding horses along the beach. He knelt down beside a tree and squinted to try to get a better look. In the distance, he could see a herd of centaurs, some fully matured, some still Saint-Junes. He groaned. Centaurs! He had to keep himself from not saying it too loud, but the fury enraging him was almost too much to bear. He was back in the first realm. How could this have happened? He laid down on the forest bed and covered himself with leaves. He couldn't risk them seeing him. 
Luckily, they were still in the distance, and they seemed to be patrolling the caves near the beaches. He had to get out of there. The Cornifel ashes were almost gone. He used them to open the portal that was supposed to bring him back to Earth, and whatever remained was too little to open another portal. Unless he could find another way to open a portal, he would be stuck here. If he could find a Cornifel, he could slaughter it. But he also had some Cornifel blood, so if he could find Destina, he could possess her to open a portal to travel back to Earth. Without that covert and strategic possession last time, she probably couldn't have opened the portal on her own. Placing that drop in the palm of his hand when they were all holding hands to cross into the First Realm was brilliant. His first plan was to get back to Earth, but at least if the Reapers tried to find him in the meantime, they'd never think to look here, as they would know he would only come to the First Realm to gather bribes for them. Cloudron knew he picked the perfect spot to hide Zarius. The last place the Celestines would patrol would be the burial grounds, as, other than housing a few memorial stones of battles from long ago, the open hair had nothing to offer in terms of places to hide. He removed the branches to reveal a tunnel big enough for him to enter and exit, but still too complicated for a bound Pegasus to escape, especially with a blindfold and a gag made from paralyzing Pythangus skins. He addressed Zarius, Make no sudden moves, but nod if you can hear me. The Pegasus, laying on the ground of the pit, clearly weak from neglect and partially paralyzed, lifted her head and nodded slightly. I will remove your gag just long enough for you to eat. Give me any reason to kill you, and I will. Cloudron emptied his satchel on the ground near her face and removed her gag, grabbing her snout and pushing it toward the pile of dried pythangus and pickled tree bark. Zarius ate with whatever strength she could muster. As she ate, Cloudra noticed some tears in her woven bindings near her wing. His keen centaur eyes allowed him to examine them from a distance. Despite the darkness, he could see what appeared to be some markings, as if something was poking at the weave from the inside, and a tiny hole that looked like it was chewed through by a small creature or rodent. Cloudra reached down and grabbed the bridge of Zarius's snout, startling her and causing her to choke. Is there something you'd like to tell me? Zarius could barely speak, and her whole body ached from being cramped in the pit for so long without movement, food, water, or sunlight. Though the gag was out of her mouth, she still felt the numb, lasting effects of the Pythangus poison. What is it that you want to know, Cloudron? He shook her face. Are we alone here? He purposely sounded calm. He feared nothing, but wanted answers before making any further decisions. I don't know. She wasn't lying. She knew the little Cornifal was with her at some point, but due to the Pythangus skin blindfold and the stiffness and pain from her bindings, she had little idea what was around her. The Cornifal could be dead in the pit with her, or could have escaped somehow. Cloudron grabbed her snout again, this time grasping right below her eyes, sinking his strong fingers into her face. Try again. You trapped me with a Cornifal. I know not of its whereabouts. Cloudron let go of her face. He couldn't believe it. The missing newborn cornifowl was trapped with Zarius, and it was his doing. Luckily, it wasn't intentional, but it was still his fault. Cloudron felt horrified at himself for letting something like this happen, but was determined to find the baby. He distorted his face and body language, even though Zarius couldn't see him, and changed his tone to a phony-sounding pleasant one. You did the right thing telling me that. For now, you'll live. What is it that you want with me? Zarius wasn't interested in the food or having a conversation with Cloudron. Her mind raced with premonitions about the safety of Timari and the other Cornifal and how she was going to escape Cloudron's imprisonment. 
Do I not look familiar to you? Cloudron's pitch raised, and this beast had piqued his curiosity for conversation with her stupid question. Answer me. Zarius's calm and tortured tone hadn't changed. I know you. Perhaps you knew my parents, too. Cloudron could feel the rage rising in his being. He wanted to reach for his archery, dip an arrow in Pythangus blood, and shoot the beast. He wanted to cause a slow, painful death, or simply shoot this beast between the eyes so she could never kill a centaur again. I remember them. Zarius didn't want to egg him on, but any information he gave her could be useful later. Do you remember crushing them into bone chards with those cursed, mutant wings of yours? I serve the Felicons. I don't care who you serve. You are nothing but a confused beast. Cloudron paused before speaking again. Do you remember Versus's parents? Cloudron leaned toward Zarius's face. Or are they just charged to you too? He paused and the silence was filled with memories of bloodshed and loss. They fought on your side of the war. He whispered and paused again. Were you too stupid to discriminate, or did your blood-hungry fire pit eyes lust for death while you enveloped dozens of centaurs in your wings, destroying their lives, weakening their celestines, empowering the Pythangus? Zarius was silent. Even though she couldn't see him, Cloudron pointed at Zarius. You are a threat. A threat to the centaurs. If I don't see a use for you, I will simply kill you. Zarius opened her mouth and inhaled as if she were about to speak. Cloudron laughed. Not that I need the counsel at a time like this, but I should just have Versus do it. I'm sure she would love to eliminate the beast that killed her parents so that it can't take away any more of her family. Do you think I didn't foresee my immediate future when you trapped me? Zarius whispered weakly. Cloudron leaned toward Zarius. Then why did you fetch the cornifowl? She replied, My mind's eye foresaw the human taking it and killing it if I didn't. Cloudron replied, The human? That's ridiculous. He's not even here. He grabbed the gag from his satchel. You're done eating. He gagged Zarius once more and left the pit, covering his tracks and the opening. He would decide what to do with her once she gave him the information he wanted. Gareth succumbed to his fatigue and fell asleep nestled in the leaves in the forest bed. He must have been exhausted because he slept through the night and the entire next day. It was nighttime again and he was starving. As he fluttered his eyelids to wake himself up, he felt an excruciating pain on his cracked rib. Something was suddenly applying pressure on him, but he couldn't see what it was. It wasn't making any noise. "'What do you want?' Gareth whispered. It definitely wasn't a centaur, but he worried it was some unknown forest creature from the First Realm. He mustered the strength to grab the heap with both arms, and the soft, fluffy heap giggled and snorted back at him. A cornifowl? This one was very tiny, and he couldn't see it, but he has killed enough cornifowl to know what this was. How could he be so lucky for one to randomly find him? He pushed it onto the ground and sat up. He had nothing to put its blood in and no obvious source of fire to burn its hide to make ashes to open a portal, so killing it now would be a waste. Plus, he needed some food sooner rather than later, and cornifall meat was deadly to his kind. All right, let's get some food and then I will figure out what to do with you. He looked around and saw no other creatures nearby. He removed one of his shoelaces and made a leash for the cornifall. He tried to hold it down to put the leash on it in the dark, but it kept wiggling and licking his face. 
Finally, he tied the shoelace around the Kornifal's neck and proceeded to the caves that he saw the centaurs patrolling the night before. Hopefully they were done searching there, so it could make a good home for him and the Kornifal until he can open a portal to get back to Earth. He and the Kornifal made their way to the cave, picking up berries along the way where the moon illuminated them enough to see them. The Kornifal fell asleep, chewing on its shoelace leash and slobbering regurgitated berries on it. Gareth sat against a wall carving shivs from stones and tree bark he picked up along the way to the cave. As the sun rose, Gareth was able to get a better look at the Kornifal. It was the smallest one he'd ever seen, and it didn't even have a full mane yet. Its tiny poof of hair was so new it was the color of pastel purple cotton candy, and its nose was pink. Its horn was just a swirl of colors that hadn't separated into a distinct rainbow yet, similar to paint when colors are introduced to each other and they blend together. Its mouth had some berry-colored stains on its white fur, and it didn't seem to have enough knowledge or strength to do very much other than sit down, roll around, or chew on things. Gareth was still in an enormous amount of pain from his rib and arm injuries, and wasn't sure if he had the strength to leave the cave just yet, let alone kill this cornifowl. They were nestled deep into the cave near an underground stream, so this should serve as a good hiding place for the time being. Perhaps he could find an unsuspecting toad to assist with his injuries. Marcasa and Detromedus formed a triangle as they followed their father into another forest looking for the lost Cornifal. Behind them were three matured centaurs from a neighboring Celestim. Behind the three centaurs were two Sontjuns from the same Celestim, patrolling with their backs to the rest of the team. Marcasa separated his right hand from the arrow mounted on his bow and extended his right elbow past his right shoulder, dragging his left fist along his chest and stopping short in front of his shoulder. Any centaurs behind him would know this as a pre-indicator to cease movement. Talk, he hissed loud enough to be an earshot of Detromedus and Horbrid, giving the verbal signal to cease movement. Centaurs give hand signals inside their formations, so the outline of their formations don't change and alert enemies to their plans. The three centaurs behind him saw the signal, and the one in the middle, Lilythap, turned her head to the side and sharply whispered, Talk, to the Sontjuns in the back who stopped walking and remained motionless behind the team, scanning the area for movement and awaiting any further instructions. Three winged figures hovered over a lump, appearing as if they were devouring it. Their wings looked like giant bat wings, with patagium connecting long, bony folds illuminated by the moonlight. The centaurs were not sure if the spiked outlines of their heads were pointed ears or horns. Their knees were bent and their upper bodies busy as they squatted down over the lump. Each time they dipped their heads, the centaurs could hear mastication sounds. When they picked their heads up, the centaurs could see their jaws moving as if they were chewing, and they could see the blood dripping down their chins. These creatures were nothing these centaurs had ever seen before. Horbrid separated his right hand from his bow and extended his elbow past his shoulder, dragging his fist along his chest and stopping short in front of his shoulder. He then dropped his elbow to his ribs, indicating to the team that he was going to verbally engage the creatures. He was in the front, so there wasn't a way to hide his outline to these potential enemies. When the front centaur makes a motion, things normally happen quickly. Identify yourselves or be shot. Horbrid's voice boomed through the forest and the creatures ceased all movement. Within a moment, the three creatures turned and charged at the formation of centaurs. The creatures were moving very quickly, and they darted back and forth, seemingly taking on different shapes as they moved, 
Ashy skin hung over their bony frames, and they filled out their tattered clothing best when they hid their wings. Horbridge shot at the middle one, and Detromedus and Marcasa knelt and bowed their heads, allowing the three centaurs in the back to shoot at the creatures, just as practiced. All three creatures were now on the ground with arrows in their chests and necks. Behind them, they left the carcass of the cat they were feeding on. Its spotted fur now bloodied from the feast. The only sign of life its body displayed was through its light green eyes and open mouth displaying its massive fangs. Detromedus and Marcasa stood up, archery in full draw, to cover the front of the team, while Horbrid and Lilithap rushed to the creatures. They scanned the area for any more movement. Humans? Lilithap examined the three creatures, not wanting to commit to calling them humans, given their varied appearances and realizing she knew very little about humans. Even that one? Horbrid pointed to one of the creatures. Though two of the creatures looked like humans, the other one had a human face, human body, and large wings like that of a giant bat. Horbrid tapped his right front hoof on the shoulder of one of the humans, pushing it to the side to get a better look at its face. Lilithap placed one of her hooves on the creature with wings, holding it down to the ground so she could ask, What are you? Please, we are just humans, the creature under Lilithap's hoof answered. The three creatures wiggled in pain, holding the arrows in their chests, and the one with wings was grabbing his throat where an arrow was strategically placed by one of the archers. Are there any more of you? Horbid pressed his hoof harder into the alleged human's shoulder. No! The creature happily sang the response as if the pain of the arrow in its chest wasn't enough to take away whatever mood it was in. The creature almost seemed amused by the question, and its tone indicated it had the potential to be dishonest. An act not normally practiced in this land that could anger a centaur very easily. Get up, you're coming with us. Horbid bent over and grabbed the two alleged humans, piling them in Lilithap's extended arms, binding their wrists with silk used for stringing bows that he kept in his satchel. He grabbed the winged creature by its neck, suspending it in mid-air, noticing its stiff wings and cold body temperature. Detromedus, take this one. He handed the creature over. Marcasa, provide aid if needed to keep the creatures alive until all of you reach the venue. Horbid motioned for the rest of the team to follow him to continue the patrol.